G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, it is always good to catch up with the Australian Christian Lobby. We talk about it being something of a preview to the political agenda for the coming week. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you yet again. You've had a busy weekend, Martin. Uh, been in Melbourne, as yeah. I understand it. Yeah, that's right. There's an ACL field campaign in Melbourne, and uh, I spent the weekend knocking on doors, putting things in letterboxes, and I visited the call centres and did some phone canvassing. So I rub shoulders with uh, all of the faithful ACL volunteers that are active down there. And I tell you what, I actually had a really, really good time. Amazing people, an amazing campaign. It's going so well. Uh, well, we could talk some more about that campaign, but let's not neglect something else that was going on in Melbourne while you were there, uh, being a part of that over the weekend. Of course, the Burke Street terror attack, and Melburnians appear to be heartbroken with the news that Sisto Malaspina from the Melbourne restaurant Pellegrini's espresso bar was killed in that attack on Friday in the Burke Street Mall. Uh, but uh, it's pretty significant, and uh, I imagine that being on the ground in Melbourne on the weekend, uh, you might have picked up something of the local sentiment there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's look, just when things we think things are quietening down on this front, it seems that something else happens. Um, and I would be lying if I, I said that since the last uh, time this a similar thing happened in Melbourne, uh, I didn't think about it when I was there, and I do spend a lot of time walking around the Melbourne CBD um, and Docklands and South Bank areas, uh, and you just have this constant reminder with those big concrete blocks everywhere uh, to prevent cars uh, driving into the extensive pedestrian areas that they have down there. Um, and, of course, I was in Melbourne when this happened, um, and, again, just horrific tragedy and just uh, so sad Um and also sad to see what, what evil can do to people, how it can change them and make them do dreadful things. Um, but it's interesting, two things concerned me coming out of this, and one was a lot of the commentary from political leaders who made the usual sort of uh, lines about, well, we're not going to be intimidated by this, we're going to go about our way of life, Australians aren't scared, etc. You know, I was there, um, and I can tell the political leaders that um, people were intimidated. They just were. You can't, you can't help it. Um, I was talking to people in the hotel I was staying in, uh, some of the staff as well, and also people in a couple of local restaurants, and they were intimidated and they're shaken by it because it's not the first time something like this has happened. And I think actually the leadership that people are looking for is leadership that says, you know what, yes, this is having a negative impact uh, on Australia's way of life. Um, it isn't tolerable, uh, and this, in fact, is what we're going to do about it and actually bring some solutions to the table. Um, and the big problem there really is that there's no politically easy solution. Uh, no politician wants to be accused of xenophobia and racism and bigotry and all these things. And inevitably, once you start to ask yourself the question, well, what can be done substantively? I mean, not putting concrete blocks around the city. Uh, I mean, actually, to deal with the ideology you, you wind up um, coming into all of that criticism. 
Um, but I think it's time that there was a political leader that stood up and said something. And I thought Scott Morrison was very good in naming it for what it was, very good. And, you know, I think people felt the refreshing nature of that because so many politically political leaders hide behind the politically correct language and they don't come out and name it for violent Islam. Uh, and say what it is. But unfortunately, he developed his speech further and started to talk about all religious extremism and how we need to be safe from all religious extremism. Well, unfortunately, I don't think there's many examples of Christian extremism uh, leading to this kind of uh, behaviour. I was listening to an imam on the uh, radio and he was saying, look, you know, it's not Islam, it's everybody. And by the way, we're trying to help. You know, all of our imams and the people in our mosques are working with police. And I thought, I don't know of a single pastor in the nation that's working with police to identify Christian extremists in their congregation. Uh, and so I think we need to be clear here and not keep defaulting to the easy options when we talk about it. I think people want leadership. They want it to be named for what it is, and they want answers. Uh, and I wish we could get to that stage. Well, the Prime Minister being criticised widely for calling it as it is and the expectation that's coming for the Islamic community to do more. And now, do more is always, you know, what is the more that they're supposed to do? And so I imagine that uh, there are some more things that can be done. But he's named it too. He says uh, extremist Islam is the elephant in the room. So uh, while there might be uh, this softening by saying all religious extremism, uh, he has named Islam as the elephant in the room or extremist Islam. Uh, so I, I, and this is where the criticism will come. You know whether he's actually struck a chord because uh, the heavier the criticism, you know that he's probably actually said something that is sensible. Yes, that's probably true. And I, I note that he did get heavily criticised. And, and I, I don't mean actually to add a too heavy a criticism to what the Prime Minister said at all. I just noted that he did go there in his speech and that, that was disappointing. But uh, not to mitigate the fact that, as you say, Neil, he has come out and he has said that that is the elephant in the room. And that's good. That's an excellent start. Um, and uh, I think that uh, we're now looking to see, well, will there be anything further said on this? I mean, to, to, to blame um, the Muslim community a little bit and say you need to do more, well... That's a pretty tough. You know, that's a pretty tough ask. Uh, I think that's that, that's shifting the responsibility to someone else. When, as political leaders, they actually do have the ability to make real differences here, and, and I don't think they should be looking to others to fix the problem as much as they should be doing something themselves to fix the problem. Interestingly, Martin, this is not just a man with a knife, and that's what the footage really shows when you see that on the television, and you can see the van that he was driving burning in the background. But uh, Mm. this technically uh, was not just a man with a knife, but uh, a terrorist with a, a gas bottle bomb in a van. And I know, and I wouldn't want to uh, miss the opportunity to bring an alignment here, and I know this was a whole different scenario, but uh, the Australian Christian lobby knows what it's like when someone's been driving a van with gas bottles and wants to set that off as a bomb. So we are talking about a bomb here, not just uh, someone wielding a knife. Well, yeah, uh, and also the fact that the bomb didn't quite uh, have the impact that I think the... uh the, uh, the person involved wanted it to have. So that was the same with us as well, in the sense that there was a van driven to our offices with six gas cylinders and, and sort of only one of them really ignited. And so, uh, you know, the building wasn't completely destroyed. But it is, it's a, it's a terribly intimidating thing. I mean, it's changed the way we do things. We've put um, bulletproof shutters in, we've got bollards around the office, we have infrared cameras, uh, we have some sort of um, uh, blast-proof glass and 
you know, it, uh, it, it definitely has a terrible impact um, when it happens. It changes your sense of security. Uh, it changes your sense of safety. Um, and it makes you think twice all the time. You know, I often finish up late at the office, and sometimes I go home a bit earlier than I would have otherwise because, uh, because of this. And so you can't claim that these sorts of acts don't change the lifestyle in a community. They do. Uh, and, and that is the problem. We're going to lose our way of life if this continues, uh, and, and particularly if we end up with this ideology uh, in our society unchecked. Uh, uh, it, something needs to be done about it. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about, and, uh, but just one last thought or two here from you, uh, Martin. So far as a Christian response or Christian thinking about what we're seeing in the media with regard to this latest terror attack, uh, I, I note that you said that people are actually feeling intimidated. But as a Christian, you still want to be able to keep those ties to your Muslim friends because there is this sense of uh, disconnect that can happen here when uh, Muslim people, and I'm talking about good Muslim people, are yeah. somehow then uh, because of you know their feeling of intimidation that comes through media coverage, and when someone does actually state the truth about extremist Islam, uh, then ordinary Muslim people actually do feel as though they are being in some ways uh, you know singled out. Uh, what are your thoughts for Christians? The way we relate to ordinary Muslim people, and but still keeping this balance of, of understanding that there is an extremist form of Islam that actually poses a huge threat? Yeah, look, it's a really good question, Neil. Um, I think that we need to always be grounded in a sense of deep concern, uh, deep concern for those who are seized by extremist ideology. The fact that there is something that is evil, it's, I believe it's a satanic thing uh, that has taken over them uh, and that they are being oppressed by and that they are acting on. Uh, we war against uh, ideologies. We war against spiritual strongholds. Um, it's not as much about the person. We have great compassion for the person and concern for the person. And I think that's exactly what Jesus did. You see those passages in the New Testament, for example, where he there's those two moments where he looks out over Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, you know, the city that stoned the prophets. Uh, you know, how often I would have gathered you with the hen gathered so young, but you would not. And here's, here's a man who's about to be killed outside this city. Uh, his prophets that he sent in the past had been stoned to death by the people of this city. And you could say he could be extremely angry, he could hate those people, uh, but he wasn't. He had deep compassion because he knew that above all things, what we want to see, well, we want to see these people come to know God. We want to see them freed from, uh, from, the, from the ideas that have seized them and from, from the forces of darkness. And, and I think that that's got to be our compassion a compassionate attitude towards uh, all those who are involved and, and affected by this. Uh, I totally take what you're saying, that there's, most Muslims would not in a million years uh, go out there and, and blow up a van and stab someone. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. But we still, you know, we are, would be concerned that all Muslims would come to no price. Um, and that's my concern. And I think so long as we keep ourselves firmly grounded in the attitude of Christ towards others, uh, we won't fall into the trap of, of ending up with hatred in our hearts, uh, or indeed falling into the trap of identity politics, where we put Muslims in a category uh, where we, we loathe them and we just speak venom against them all the time. Uh, I don't think we can ever go there, and I think that's distinctly unchristian.
Uh, good thoughts, Martin Niles. Uh, let me get some uh, comment from you with regard to developments uh, from Nauru. As I understand it, uh, latest reports, fewer than 30 children now on Nauru and the plan to have all children off Nauru by the end of the year. Uh, what are your thoughts on developments that have been happening there from some of the things that you've been now saying for, uh, for a long, long time? Yeah, look, I think this is great news, the fact that it looks like the ch- all of the children, or, or perhaps nearly all of them, because there's uh, a concern that some of them are in families that have uh, had an adverse security assessment, but, but practically all of them will be off the island probably about the end of this year. I think that's good. Um, I, I think that's good because they've been there for five years, uh, and it is a limbo situation in less than ideal circumstances. Uh, and so I do think that so long as they're under the stewardship of the government, the government should be thinking about how to resolve that issue. Um, I'm not going to stick the boot into the government, though, uh, too hard about the fact that they have been there for five years or that the Nauru thing ever happened, because uh, I think we're so quick, and I, I, you know, I'm sure I, I don't think that... I think there's many people who wouldn't. I'm not suggesting that, I, that there's people around the wood. But, but there are some activists that really... Uh, put the boot into the government, and they make, I think, I believe, false claims uh, about the conditions on Nauru. Uh, uh, and they say that it's akin to a concentration camp and it's keeping people under oppression. Actually, most of the people on Nauru are living in the community. Um, the detention centres opened up. Um, there's very few that are actually in detention. Um, and, uh, and in terms of the general health and well-being... Uh, there are stories that come up all the time about how terrible it is. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I've even talked to a lot of doctors that go over there, uh, and doctors even that bring sick children back to the mainland. Uh, and they will say, look, they'll, they'll explain the condition that they're in, and there isn't a serious systemic health problem uh, amongst the people over there. So there's not rank mistreatment at all, just to clear that up. Uh, but also I think uh, the other thing, is that um, we many have forgotten about how serious the problem was. Uh, and the government had to do something. They had to do something to solve it. There was human trafficking taking place. People smugglers were making a great trade. Um, there were people drowning at sea in, in scores of them, such a huge number. I mean, these are actual lives, people dying. Uh, and also you had all the issues of resourcing because the numbers were growing and growing and growing. The government had to try and police the border and it was getting extremely difficult. Uh, then you had the security concerns that arose with that uh, and all sorts of things. It was chaos. It was a mess. It was dreadful. It couldn't continue. And I don't think that any government that's doing its job properly would have allowed it to continue. And so a fairly harsh policy was brought in. I'm not going to comment on all the details of that. I think there was excellent bits and some bits which, which maybe we could you know, argue over. That's fine. Uh, but we do find ourselves now in a situation where the Nauru uh, uh, centre is being shut down. Uh, I believe that in 12 months it will be completely gone, um, uh, based on conversations that I've had. Uh, and at the end of it all, after this period of time, I think we look back and could say that actually that was a job reasonably well done, difficult, very difficult and very morally challenging circumstances. Well, the Prime Minister quoted as saying there is no decision free of moral burden and also reportedly that he he said that he had prayed for the children in detention on Nauru and he hoped 
it had made a difference. And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll side with the Prime Minister there, that having prayed, uh, then acting on a prayer, and I imagine that when you've got a Prime Minister who does pray, uh, when he makes decisions, that is, in fact, a step of faith uh, towards solution. So uh, we'll hope for a good outcome there. Uh, we're going to be talking over this next hour about Christian schools and religious freedom. Uh, before we have our conversation, I'll be talking to Mark Spencer from Christian Schools Australia in just a few minutes, Martin. But uh, you've got a, a few thoughts on on developments here. Of course, uh, a year since the same-sex marriage vote went through, and here we are, we find ourselves on the verge of a threat to Christian schools and to Christian churches. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, religious freedom for schools? Yeah, look, Neil, I mean, I might even take it through that lens of, um, you know, 12 months on from same-sex marriage and let Mark comment on the details. But uh, I do think we have seen over the last 12 months, for those who have been engaged with the issues, a move uh, from the pure same-sex marriage issue, that having been won um, by those who are advocating for a change. We see the lobbyists and the activists who were the most active in that area. We see them now turning their attention uh, to some other issues. And religious freedom has been one of those issues that they don't wish to see protected. And it's been very clear to those of us who have been in the lobbying space. Uh, and we saw a little while ago a news story in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, which made the claim that the Ruddock Review uh, was contained a recommendation that Christian schools or religious schools be allowed to expel gay students. Now, that was not True, that was fake news, as Donald Trump would say. Uh, but they published it anyway, and that has started a storm. Uh, and it has started a political uh, operation uh, that has been designed to remove significant existing religious freedoms that schools have. Uh, and so you see them not waiting for the Ruddock Review to come out. They're moving against religious freedom now as soon as they can. Uh, and it's got to the point now where there are actual proposals being discussed to change the laws to reduce the amount of religious freedom that schools have in key areas. One area is in the ability to choose staff that are wholly in accord with their moral and religious ethos of the school. Uh, that's perfectly reasonable. Political parties get to do the same thing when they choose their candidates on their political ideology. All associations should have that freedom. Another thing is that they are trying to uh, ensure that uh, the schools uh, are more limited in the way that they can uh, in the behaviour that they can require of their student body. Uh, so it's going to be much more difficult for a school, for example, to want to uphold a biblical sexual ethic in the conduct of their students. Now, that's got nothing to do with whether a student might be same-sex attracted. No one's expelling that student for that reason. But what it has got to do is whether or not that student conducts themselves in the school community in a way that upholds the school community's expectations. Uh, and that freedom is being limited as well, potentially. So, and unfortunately, the media has been very, very strong against religious schools for a while now. Uh, there's been some serious, some significant PR losses in this debate in recent times. Uh, and so this is a live issue. Uh, and it shows sort of where the, the battlefront has moved to since same-sex marriage. And I'd encourage people, one of the things that's needed, and Mark will probably speak more to this, one of the things that's really needed right now is for the voice of parents to be heard. Uh, and even grandparents, in fact, uh, or even parents of students that used to go to religious schools. Uh, they need to speak up and say, look, we've made sacrifices to send our kids to a Christian school, and we sent them there because we want that school. We trust them to that school, and we want that school to have the freedom to employ staff 
and maintain its religious and moral ethos. And we're starting a campaign at saveourschools.org.au for parents to sign up to. And if we get a, a groundswell of parental voices, I think that could be a really powerful contribution to this debate uh, that may even start to turn the tide back in our favour so that we can, in fact, save our Christian schools uh, because I think they're so important in the community. Well, we'll continue this conversation in just a few minutes uh, when Mark Spencer joins us. But Martin Isles, always appreciate your insights into all of these issues and uh, uh, certainly from uh, those uh, issues around the terror attack in Melbourne, uh, the issues on Nauru and religious freedom at Christian schools and Christian churches. Uh, Martin Isles, no doubt uh, listeners will be able to glean some significant understanding from the resources that you have at the Australian Christian Lobby. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. That's acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks for your update today on 2020. No worries, Neil. Thanks again. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.